You're listening to a presentation of The Rising, a community of faith, a church designed to see people far from God raised to true life. We're always encouraged to know God is changing lives through this ministry. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know and send an email to stories at wearetherising.com. Now, prepare your heart and mind to hear a word from God. We are, um, as Dave mentioned earlier, we're starting a brand new series called The, the Flames of Heaven, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I believe it's going to change some things in your life today. I wonder, have you ever seen the street preachers on the corner uh, yelling at people, shouting through bullhorns, holding signs that say, turn or burn? Have you ever seen these guys? Like, usually they go to the oceanfront. Uh, on Friday and Saturday night, they also show up at Town Point Park for various events. And I, I saw this one guy at an event like this, and he had a sign that said, turn to Jesus or burn in hell. Like, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, I guess those are my two options. <laughs> and, and, and then there was another guy. I saw his sign. It was a little more succinct and to the point. It just said, you're going to hell. <laughs> I was like, wow, no, not even a turn to Jesus in that. No grace or no hope at all. It's just, you're going to hell. And, and I just thought, man, what? But like, you don't even know these people. But I, I wonder if you were to go to him and say, hey, where's that person going to go? He'd be like, hell. How about that person over there? Hell. <laughs> that, I mean, like, no option at all. And, and, and sometimes I see people, uh, like, getting into conversations with these street preachers or getting into an argument with them. Like, whatever they say is going to change their mind. Uh, I, I just want to let you know, if you see guys like this on the street who are telling people they're going to hell, like, don't, don't stop and talk to them. Don't get into an argument with them uh, because you're not going to change their mind. I mean, just think about it. Think about how dedicated you got to be to go stand on a street corner and tell people you don't even know that they're going to hell. Like, you got to be real dedicated to do that. You know what I mean? And so just because you win an argument with them, they're not going to change. Because if they change, then they would have to admit they look even more silly than they do already. Uh, instead, what I want to encourage you to do, and this is what I do when I see those guys on the, on the street, is I just walk by and I smile and I just think, man, Jesus loves them. Because don't you know that love wins? walk by and I think, ah, oh, Jesus loves them too. Because here's the great thing. Jesus loves the people that they're condemning, and Jesus even loves the ones who are doing the condemning. Like, this is how great the grace of God is. And so I just walk by and I think, man, Jesus loves you too. And, and I also wonder, like, why are you so upset? <laughs> like, why are you so angry? Who peed in your Cheerios this morning? Like, what in the world? Does, did your mom not hold you enough when you are a baby? Like, wh why are you so hell-bent on sending people to hell? And, and I mean, I, I get the tactic, right? I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to make people afraid of hell so that they say yes to Jesus. Uh, but I've never met somebody who that was their testimony, right? Where they said, you know, I was walking down the street one day and there was a street preacher and he was yelling at me and he said I was going to hell because I had long hair. And I thought, he's right. And then I dropped to my knees instantly. I accepted Jesus and I'm a born again believer. Like I've never met that person, and even if I did and they had that testimony, I would just wonder like, wait, did you, say, did you say yes to Jesus or did you just say no to hell? Did you enter into a relationship with God because you love God or because you're afraid of hell? Like, which, which is it? If you look back at the, the Great Awakening in the 1700s, uh, many experts and historians say that it was sparked uh, by a single sermon written by Jonathan Edwards called the... Um, called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And uh, maybe you've heard this sermon, maybe you read it uh, when you were in high school and analyzed it. 
But the whole gist of the sermon is this. Uh, Edwards says that God's wrath is being poured out on sin. And, and God's wrath is a very real thing. God hates sin. He detests sin. He punishes sin. But he says that God's wrath is poured out on sin. But Jesus intercepted the wrath of God on the cross. And he took our payment. He took our penalty for our sin. And if we would just follow Jesus, if we would accept him, believe in him, be immersed in him, then we could be saved from the wrath of God. And this is really the, the gospel message, that we're guilty of sin. We deserve punishment. But Jesus took our punishment. He paid the penalty on the cross, and if we would follow Jesus, believe in him, accept him, and be immersed in him, then we could be saved from God's wrath. Now, there's some problems, I think, in Edward's sermon, but this is pretty much the gist of the gospel message, that God so loved the world (laughs) that he didn't want to send it to hell, but he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Are y'all with me this morning? I just want to make sure I got a church that's alive. All right. <laughs> Respond to me. But, but he said, so, so this is the gist of the sermon. And, and what happens is when that sermon was preached in the 1700s is it sparked a revival in our nation. People left and right were turning to Jesus. I mean, really what happened was the sermon just scared the hell out of people. They were like, well, I I don't want to go there, so I'll just follow Jesus. And this revival took place, thus the great awakening. But, but I think that today, preaching the flames of hell uh, don't really, it, it doesn't really resonate with people, and it doesn't show people the love of God. And, and I wonder, too, that when we preach on the flames of hell, if really what we're doing is we're focusing on the wrong flames. Uh, today, we're starting a brand new series called The Flames of Heaven, and uh, what I want to do throughout this series, I think, is really going to challenge everything that you believe about heaven, um, and I think it's going to turn it all on its head. And so I want to encourage you to make it a priority to be here over the next four weeks, because I really believe that you're going to begin to see heaven in a different way. Because for, for many people, when we think about heaven, uh, we get this image that it's some place that I fly off to one day, that, that some glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. And when I get there to this ethereal place in the sky, then I'll get my own cloud. I'll be assigned a harp to play music I don't even know how to play or like. And I'll get a personal halo to wear all the time. And so this is our image of, of heaven. But as we read throughout the scriptures, we actually see that Jesus' understanding of heaven is much different than uh, a place that's there and then. For Jesus, heaven is more about here and now. Heaven is about here and now, and not just there and then. That's actually the title for my sermon. If you would write that at the top of your notes section, uh, here and now, not just there and then. And if you're not taking notes, if you would just scribble in your notes section to encourage me to make me think that you think this is important. Uh, Here and now, not just there and then. Uh, Jesus was teaching a group of people how to pray one time, uh, and we see what he says to them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to open up there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. I want you to see uh, how he teaches them to pray. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Here's what it says. Uh, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This word hallowed means holy. Our our Father in heaven, holy is your name. You're magnificent. You're wonderful. You're great and amazing. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And then he says this, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
just as it is in heaven. Uh, the gospel writer Matthew records about Jesus' ministry, and all throughout his gospel, Jesus constantly uses this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. He actually uses it 31 times. Uh, and every time Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, it seems as though his understanding of heaven is that it's more about here and now than just there and then. Because Jesus says things like this. He says, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is being revealed to you. And so his understanding, it seems, of heaven is that it's more about here and now and not just there and then. Even when he teaches us to pray, he says, and when you pray, here's what I want you to pray. God, may this world look more like heaven. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he teaches us to pray, God, let this world look more like heaven. But I once heard a preacher say that you are the answer to your prayers. Do y'all know who that was? That was me. I'm just quoting myself. I preached a sermon uh, back in the summer called You Are the Answer. Okay. Make a note. Preach more memorable sermons. Okay. Uh, So Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to pray that this kingdom in heaven, God's will in heaven would come here to earth, that this world would look more like heaven. And I once heard a preacher say that you are the answer to your prayers. And so if we're going to pray that, then we need to live that. We can't pray, God, let this world look more like heaven and then go live like hell. But we got to live the life of heaven now. It seems from Jesus' understanding that heaven is more about here and now, life now than life there and then. And and to help shed some light on this, uh, I want to show you how the story of God begins and I want to show you where the story of God begins. I also want to show you how the story of God ends, and I want to show you where the story of God ends. Because for for many people, when we think about heaven, we have this evacuation theology that some glad morning I'll fly away, and that the action is there. That it's not here, but it's there somewhere. And so it doesn't really matter how I live, because I'm, I'm flying off somewhere. That's where the action is. This whole world is going to crap. It's all going to pass away. The action is there. I, I heard somebody once talk about it like this, that when we try to do good things here and we try to redeem things here, when we try to bring heaven here to earth, it, it's really just like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. Like it doesn't matter because it's going down. It's a sinking ship. But this is not what the scriptures teach us. Over and over again, we see that the action isn't somewhere else, but it's actually right here. And because it's here, it matters how we live. If you have a Bible, I want to show you how the beginning of the story of God begins. Uh, Would you turn to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. It's the very first page in your Bible. Uh, the easiest verse you'll ever turn to. So Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here's here's how the story of God begins. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was void and formless, was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, right? And so the story of God begins with God creating the heavens and the earth, and notice that the story begins here. 
It begins with God here on earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So the story begins here, and God is here. As you continue to read through Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you see that God takes great care in crafting this earth. Um, He does a lot of work to make this world the way that he wants it. Um, And then what you see is that God creates a garden, and he puts Adam and Eve, the first two people in this garden. This is where humanity begins in the Garden of Eden. And then what we see in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 is we see this amazing thing where God is walking in the cool of the day in the garden. So what we see in the beginning of the story of God is that it begins here. And God is here with humanity. And then in Genesis chapter 3, this is where sin enters into the world. See, what happened was God created the entire world. He created this beautiful garden, placed Adam and Eve there, and he said, you are free. You are free. See, sometimes we think God wants to limit us. Sometimes we think God wants to, to shackle us and ruin our fun. But here's what he says to them. You are free to do whatever you'd like. The, the whole world is yours. Everything I've created is yours except this one tree. This one tree right here is mine. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You're free to do anything you want. Your imagination is the limit. You can do whatever you like. You're free. I've given you the world except this one tree. This is mine. I don't want you to eat from it. And then Adam and Eve are faced with a decision. Do we follow God or do we follow us? Do we do what God says or do we... Or or, or do we do what we want to do? Are we going to trust God or not trust God? See, it wasn't about the tree. It was about what am I going to do with what God has said to me? Am I going to follow him and trust him or not? And what we see is that Eve eats from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She believes perhaps God is holding out on me. Perhaps my way would be better. So she rebels against God and eats from the tree. And then Adam also rebels against God, and he eats from the tree as well. They've decided to follow their own way. And when they follow their own way, sin enters into the world, and sin brings about destruction. When they eat from the tree, when they follow their own way instead of God's way, destruction takes place. Destruction in the way that they see themselves, their self-image is nothing. Destruction in their relationship with one another, they hide from one another. Destruction with God, they hide from God, and destruction even in the environment. The whole world is affected because of this rebellion from God. And you can think about it in your own life. Every time you followed your own way, it's led to destruction. Proverbs chapter, 20, uh, Proverbs chapter 16 verse 25 says this, There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. You can think about every time that you've tried to follow your own way and how it's led to death and destruction. Like you felt overwhelmed by crushing debt. And it's because you followed your own way instead of God's way, which says don't run up debts except for the huge debt of love you owe each other. Romans chapter 8 verse 13. Uh, Maybe you lost your job or a relationship because you falsified the truth. You just stretched it a little bit. And the reason is because you were following your own way instead of walking in God's way, the way of integrity, which says honesty lives confident and carefree, but shifty is sure to be exposed. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. Uh, Maybe you were crushed because you gave your heart and your body 
to that person who said that they loved you outside of marriage, and then they left you after they got what they wanted from you. And the reason is because you are following your own way instead of God's way, which says this, honor marriage and guard the sacredness of sexual intimacy between wife and husband. God draws a firm line between casual and illicit sex. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. See, every time we follow our own way, it brings about death and destruction in our own life. But when we follow the way of God, when we make Jesus the leader of our life, we receive blessing. This is why it's so critical that you and I, if we say we're aligned with God, that we need to make him the leader of our life. And so Adam and Eve uh, decide to rebel against God. They say, I don't want to go your way. I want to go my way. Sin enters the world. Everything is destroyed. And then sin enters in Genesis chapter 3. So the first two chapters of the story of God begin Genesis 1 and 2, where there is no sin. The rest of the Bible is the story with sin in it, except for the last two chapters of the Bible. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. But if you took sin out of the story of humanity, then you would only have four chapters in the Bible. How many of you could read that in one sitting? Yeah. If you took sin out, you would only have four chapters in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2 before sin ever entered the world, and Revelation chapter 21 and 22 when sin is done away with and all things are made new. So I showed you how the story begins and where it begins. I want to show you how the story ends and where it ends. Turn in your Bible to Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It's at the very end of your Bible. Uh, the, the Revelation writer John is writing, and he says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. The story begins in a garden, and it ends in a city. There's movement here. There's, there's progress that's taking place. It was coming down out of heaven from God. You know, sometimes people are so concerned with flying up, but it says that the new city will be coming down. I wonder if while God is coming down and people are flying up, God will meet them in the middle and say, where are you going? What? <laughs> the action's down there, not up here. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God walked in the cool of the day in the garden, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The beginning of the story begins with God here with humanity. The end of the story ends with God here with humanity. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, for there will be no more death. The wages of sin is death. Sin has been done away with. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things has passed away. And so what that means is that there's no more brokenness. There's no more shame. There's no more regret. There's no more hurt. There's no more cancer. There's no more memory loss because of Alzheimer's. There's no more miscarriages. There's no more poverty. There's no more hunger because the old order of things has passed away. And then, and then, and then he who was seated on the throne said, I am. And making everything new. 
I am making everything new. So the beginning of the story begins with God here, with humanity. The end of the story ends with God here, with humanity. God's plan has never been to evacuate us and get us out somewhere else, but the action has always been here. God created this world. He planted us here so that this would be heaven. One day, heaven will come crashing to earth, and all things will be made new. In Genesis 1 and 2, we see life with God before sin. In Revelation 21, 22, we see life here with God after sin. Everything has been restored. Everything has been redeemed. God's plan the whole time is for heaven to crash here to earth and for this world to be redeemed. This is why Jesus says, when you pray, pray that God's kingdom, his will would be done on earth just as it is in heaven, so that when the kingdom of heaven crashes to earth, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm already used to this kind of life, because you're already living it. Are you with me? Yeah. Does anybody have any fish? Sorry, I know that was a hard transition there. Um, It's like, God's plan has always been to redeem this world, to restore things. Heaven's going to come crashing. Do you have a fish? That's like ADD in sermons. Um, No, 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 I ask you that because uh, I I used to have a fish once. I tried to have fish, but I can't have fish um, because I don't know how they operate. Um, like I tried to have one. I, I really did. I had a tank. I put the pebbles in the tank. Uh, there were fake plants in it. I put water in it. I was ready for the fish. And so I drove down to the PetSmart and I got some goldfish, uh, like real cheap ones, because I'm a beginner at this. And so I figured I'd start off cheap. So I got some goldfish from the guy at the PetSmart and I drove back home and then I put the fish in the tank. And then I looked at them about an hour later and I thought, oh man, these are some talented goldfish because they know tricks. Um, they know how to do the backstroke. And so they were doing the backstroke, and I thought I got goldfish, but apparently I got clownfish from the circus, because not only were they doing the backstroke, but they were playing dead. And I was like, these are awesome fish. And then I poked them a little bit, and they didn't move. And I realized they weren't just playing dead, but they really were dead. Uh, and I just thought, well, I guess you get what you pay for. Uh, I expected them to last a little longer than an hour. Maybe I need to upgrade to a more expensive model. So I put them in the baggie, I drove back to the PetSmart, and I talked to the guy who sold them to me, and I said, hey, you sold me some defective fish. He said, what do you mean? I said, they're broken. He said, what are you talking about? I said, they don't work. He, he said, what happened? I said, well, I put them in the tank, and then I looked at them an hour later, and they were doing the backstroke and playing dead, but they weren't really doing the backstroke and playing dead. They really were dead. He said, how did that happen? I said, I don't know. I I, I put them in the tank and they were dead. He said, how did they die? I said, I'm not a pathologist. I didn't perform an autopsy on them. I don't know how they died. I just know that they're dead. He said, what did you do? I said, I put them in the tank. He said, why did you put them in the tank? I said, because that's where they live, in tanks. He said, you didn't keep it in the bag? I said, no, I didn't keep it in the bag because fish don't live in bags. They live in tanks. He said, no, no, you put them right away in the tank? I said, yes. He said, why did you do that? I said, because that's their home. He said, you didn't acclimate the fish? I said, no, I didn't activate the fish. I don't know how to activate fish. Do I push a button on their fin or something? What are you talking about activating? He said, no, not activate, acclimate. I said, of course I didn't agitate the fish because I want them to be happy fish, nice fish. He said, no, not agitate, acclimate, acclimate. I said, no, I didn't acclimate the fish. And why are you talking to me like this? And he, sa- he said, 
He said, I, I, I said, I don't even know what acclimation is. He said, here's what it is. It's a process that you do to prepare the fish for the environment that you've prepared for it. See, what you got to do is you got to take the baggie home. You put the baggie with the fish in it in the water, and, and you let it sit in the water in the tank so that the temperature of the water in the bag becomes the same as the temperature of the water in the tank. And then you, you, you take scoops of water out of the tank and put it into the bag so that the chemistry of the water in the tank will mix with the chemistry of the water in the bag, and then the fish gets used to it. And then once it's used to it, you dump the whole contents into the tank, and now your fish is acclimated to its new environment. And if you don't acclimate it, the fish will go into shock and die because you just dumped it into a new environment without it getting used to that new environment. And so I said, oh, so I didn't get a defective fish? He said, no, you didn't get a defective fish. I said, so I killed the fish? He said, yes, you killed the fish. I said, no, you killed the fish because you didn't tell me to acclimate the dumb thing and it didn't come with instructions, so I want my dollar and 17 cents back. Thank you. And that's why I don't have fish now. But the process of acclimation is getting the fish ready for the environment that's been made ready for it. Acclimation is the process of preparing the fish for the environment that's been prepared for it. See, you and I, we were created to be in a relationship with God and to experience that relationship in heaven. What we see is that one day heaven will come crashing to earth. We've been prepared for that environment. And the question that I have for you is if heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, would you be acclimated to live the life of heaven or would you go into shock? Would there be some things you'd have to learn really quickly? See, see I don't know if you know this or not, but this life is preparation for the next life. This life is the acclimation process to get us ready for the environment that's been prepared for us. If heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, would that be a good thing for you? Because you've been acclimated for the life of heaven, or would you have to learn some things very quickly? This is the question that I want to ask throughout the rest of the series. If heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, would that be a good thing for you? Sometimes when we think about the end of the world, we're concerned with all hell breaking loose, and we're terrified of the flames of hell, but I wonder if instead we should be more concerned about all heaven breaking loose, and could it possibly be that the flames of heaven burn hotter than the flames of hell? Because if there's any bitterness in your heart, any negativity, pessimism, sarcasm, and heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, and you were in the presence of the one who is sheer, unadulterated joy, would that be a good thing for you? Or would that be a bad thing? If, if, if there's any bit of stinginess in your life, any greed, if you live with any sense of holding things back and, and living with clenched fists, and heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, and the one who is extravagant generosity stood in your midst, would that be heaven for you, or would it be hell? If there's unforgiveness in your life, and you're holding a grudge against somebody, and heaven crashed to earth tomorrow, and the one who is forgiveness took up residence here, would that be a good thing for you? Or would you have to learn some things really quickly? If you have a short fuse, you get angry easily, and heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, and the one who embodies grace and patience were in your midst, would that be a good thing for you? Or would you be miserable? 
if you have any sort of racism or bigotry, you stereotype groups of people, and heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, and all of a sudden you became a minority because you realize that you are surrounded by people from every tribe and language and nation and socioeconomical standing and political idea, would that be heaven for you, or would it be hell? Could it be that the flames of heaven burn hotter than the flames of hell? And sometimes what happens when we start thinking about heaven, and one day when it happens, uh, we default to this thinking where we say, well, it doesn't really matter because I'll automatically be changed. Like when I get to heaven, I'll just love doing the things that I don't love doing now. And so like if, if I'm stingy now, well, I'll just be generous then. I'll just automatically be changed. We, we, we default to this thinking where we say, well, it doesn't really matter because if I, if I didn't love worshiping God here, then I'll love worshiping God there. I mean, everything will be changed. I'll see things differently. We, we default to this thinking where we say, well, if I'm, if I'm angry now, well, I won't be then because I'll automatically be changed. But the problem is this is not the message the scriptures teach us. The, the, the scriptures teach us that how we live now matters. How we live now is preparation for where we're headed. If heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, would it be a good thing for you? See, what we need to understand is that it's our job, it's our role, if you follow Jesus, to live the life of heaven now. Because it's crashing to earth one day, and we got to be ready for it. I don't want you to experience shock when it happens. I want you to be fully acclimated for it. And so what that means is that you have a greater destiny and a greater purpose and a greater calling in your life than probably what you're living for right now. So many of us, I mean, if you just boil down your life to it, so many of us, here's what we live for. We live to pay the bills. Like, that's what we live for. I mean, think about it. Why do you work? Why do you do what you do? So you can pay the bills. That's it. Like we go to work singing the same song every single day. I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go because I got a lot of bills and I got to pay them now and I need some money, right? I mean, like we sing, we live our lives to pay the bills. Or some of us, we live our lives for the weekend. I can't wait to get through the week. Thank God it's Friday. Oh, God, it's Monday. Right? We live for the weekend, but you have a greater calling in your life, a greater destiny, a greater purpose if you're following Jesus. You have a greater calling. Many of us, what we live for, I mean, for, what we live for in our life is to make more money to get a bigger house, to get the car that we always wanted. I want you to have those things. Those things are great, but you have something greater that you've been called to, and it's to live the life of heaven here and now. It's to participate with God in redemption, in, in resurrecting this world, to make this world look more like heaven. This is what we've been called to. This is our destiny. This is our purpose, so that one day when heaven comes crashing to earth and God takes up residence here, he will look around and say, wow, Love what you've done with the place. Reminds me of home. It's our job, our role, what you've been called to is to live the life of heaven now so that when heaven comes crashing to earth, you wouldn't be shocked. And if you're a Christian, you got to get this. You have to get this. Like you need to understand this. Our faith is not about showing up somewhere once a week and going through the motions and waiting till we die because the action is somewhere there. But our faith is participating with God in redemption, reconciliation, restoration, resurrection, here and now. 
Listen, as a pastor, one of my goals is not just to save you from hell, but I want to get you out of hell. Because some of you are experiencing hell right now. And, and, and I want you to get up out of there. Because you're settling for a life of mediocrity. You're settling for a life less than what God has called you to. You're living a life that seems right to you, but it's leading in death. And I want to get you up out of hell. And I don't want you to just be in heaven. I want you to experience heaven here and now. It's more than just there and then. It's about here and now. And so we got some work to do. I want to ask you, if heaven were to crash to earth tomorrow, would it be a good thing for you? Would you say, oh, yeah. No big deal, I've been living this way the whole time. Or are there some things that you'd have to pick up very quickly? Are there some things that you would need to learn? Are there some habits you'd need to get rid of? Are there some addictions you would need to drop? Are there some attitudes that you would need to change? If heaven crashed to earth tomorrow, would it be a good thing for you? And see, as we talk about living the life of heaven here and now, not only does it bring about redemption and resurrection in the world, but there's also a blessing in it for you. When we live the life of heaven here and now, there's a blessing in it for you. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and here's what he writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in every uh, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You know, when I first read that, um, I thought, okay, so I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, but I'm living here now. And so if I've been blessed in the heavenly realms, that blessing doesn't really help me now. But then I remember Jesus said, and when you pray, pray, God, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And then I started to realize that when I live the life of heaven here and now, I unlock the blessings of heaven in my life. You have been blessed with every blessing in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realm. But in order for you to unlock it and unleash it to experience that blessing now, it means that you have to live the life of heaven now. If we're going to receive the blessing of heaven, we got to live the life of heaven. Th this is why when we talk about as a church, when we talk about serving, we're not talking about it because we need people to serve in the church. I'm not up on Saturday night thinking, oh man, if Sally isn't standing at the door greeting people, the church is going to hell, right? We're, it's all gonna, we're gonna close the door. Like, I, I'm not thinking that. We don't talk about serving because we need you to serve. We talk about serving because that's living the life of heaven here and now. I still don't know why 100% of our church isn't serving yet. But when we serve, it's living the life of heaven here and now. It's living beyond yourself. Serving doesn't save you, but it can save somebody else. S serving, serving helps you build not just your kingdom, but God's kingdom. Serving helps you overcome the, the uncomfortability that you have 
to live in greater purpose and meaning. There's so many benefits to serving. We don't talk about serving because you have to, but you get to. We get to make a difference. But also, when we serve, there's a blessing that's unleashed from heaven. Isaiah chapter 58 uh, says this. God is talking about serving, and he says, when you spend yourself on behalf of others, then your breakthrough will break out. When you pour your life out for others by serving them, then your healing will come forth like the dawn. See, there's a blessing in heaven that's locked up for so many of you. You're waiting for your breakthrough to come out. And God is saying, I got the breakthrough. It's right here. I just want you to serve some people. And by the way, if we're following Jesus, if he's the leader of our life, Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. Our master served. If you're following Jesus, if you're a Christian this morning, God has locked a blessing in heaven for you, your breakthrough, but you won't experience it until you start to live the life of heaven now by serving. I think for many of you, God is saying, I've got your healing, it's ready. You just got to serve some people to unlock it. When we talk about returning the tithe, giving and offering, bringing the first 10% of our income back to God, we don't do it because the church needs your $147 every week. I mean, it helps fuel the mission of what we're doing, but we don't do it because we need people's money. We do it, and we talk about it that way because when we give, when we return the tithe, it increases generosity inside of us. It prepares us for the life of heaven. It combats greed in our life. When, when we give, when we return the tithe, it helps us build a kingdom beyond just our kingdom. And there's a blessing in it. In Malachi chapter 3, God said, when you return the tithe to me, see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you won't even know what to do with it. There's a blessing in it. That's why we talk about it, because I want you to be blessed in that way. Now, it's not necessarily a financial blessing. I have heard those stories. People get raised, promotions, whatever. But it's also another blessing where people say, oh, I'm seeing the world differently now. I'm experiencing God differently now. I'm not as greedy as I used to be. I want you to unlock that blessing. When we talk about forgiveness, it's not just because it's a nice thing to do. We talk about forgiveness because there's freedom in forgiveness. Because when you forgive somebody, you set somebody free, and you realize that person was you. I want you to experience freedom. Plus, Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that when we forgive, we're able to receive the forgiveness of God. That until you forgive, you're blocking the forgiveness of God, and you can't really experience just how great He's forgiven you. There's a blessing locked up in heaven waiting for you. But for you to unlock it, you got to live the life of heaven now. See, if you want to receive the blessings of heaven, then you got to live the life of heaven now. If you want to receive it, you got to live it. It's already yours. You just got to live it out. And so do you want joy? It's already yours. You just got to live it out. If you want confidence, it's already yours. You just got to live it out. It's already locked up for you. If you want love, it's already yours. You just got to live it out. If you want better perspective, it's already yours. You just got to live it out. If you want hope, it's already yours. You just got to live it out. If you want peace, don't, don't, don't leave me up here by myself. If you want peace, it's already yours. You just got to live it out.
And the way you receive it is to live it. I'm asked, do you want to receive the blessings of heaven? Daniel, do you want to receive the blessings of heaven? You do. I like that response. That's good. Liz, do you want to receive the blessings of heaven? You do. I do too. How about Billy? Do you want to receive the... You do? You do? I don't think they do. Do you want to receive the blessings of heaven? Then you got to live it out. It's time to live it out. This life is preparation for the next. This life is the acclimation process for the next. Heaven will come crashing to earth. And I wonder, will you be ready? Over the next three weeks, as we continue this series, I want to explore this in various facets. What does it look like to live the life of heaven here and now? I really believe that as you start to implement this in your life, you'll start to see blessing in your life. So don't skip next week. Don't make it a habit to come every other week, but make it a priority to be here every week for this series because I know it's going to change your life. And I can't wait to see how God unleashes heaven in our lives as we start to live the life of heaven now and work to resurrect and redeem this world. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray you were inspired and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, sign up to serve on a team, join a group, or just find out more information on The Rising, visit us at wearetherising.com.